look at that in a few minutes, that the Holy Spirit was involved in creation. He was co-creator with Christ. They did it all together. And so um, it is him moving, the, in this case, the breath, um, bringing that a concept of wind, of breath. John chapter 3 and verse 8, we see his movement mentioned here, John chapter 3 and verse number 8. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. You can't tell where it came from. You can't tell where it's going. Um, and in fact, you should have seen me trying to find a picture. Um, there, was, there is a PowerPoint, but... Um, when I was looking for the picture on the PowerPoint, looking for a picture of wind, and I was amazed at how few of people have actually taken pictures of and posted them on the website we were using of wind blowing really hard. Finally, I thought, the desert, sandstorm. You know, there's not that many photographers who've gone into sandstorms and then give away their pictures for free online. But I found one of the wind blowing across the sand dune. When I saw that, I'm like, that's perfect. That's perfect. You see the wind blowing, but you can't see the wind itself. That's the same way with the Holy Spirit. Um, Ironside said, you see its effect. You can see what the Holy Spirit has done in a person when they get saved. I was little when I got saved, but my mom We'll talk about the change that happened in my life. She saw a difference. Um, there were some things different about me, the way I behaved, the way I responded to my parents. Um, as a six-year-old boy, what was it that made the change? It was the Holy Spirit. We've had places where we go in and do Bible clubs on a regular basis, where um, I remember a specific place in Mississippi, they said the week is always better when y'all have been here. Because we'd go in every Monday morning at like, um, in Picky, Mississippi, we'd drive over there. It was about an hour from where we lived. And we'd go over and we would do a Bible club at like 7.30 in the morning on Monday mornings. And um, she, the ladies would say, there's just a difference when you leave the kids act different. And so the week's always better. So we want to make sure we always have you here on Monday morning. Ah, there it is. There's the wind. So we want to make sure we have you there. Why? Because they were seeing the effect of the Holy Spirit in the lives of these little kids. They acted different after the Bible club, and it would last for days after that. What was it? It was the effect of the Holy Spirit. And here specifically, he's talking about the new birth. So giving life giving, uh, putting breath into man, and then birthing us as believers. So first of all, we have, let's go back, we'll review with the pictures. Number one, we have the dove. Number two, water. Number three, wind. Number four, fire. This was, I would say, the other of the top three for us to recognize. Thank you guys for getting that up there. Um, I'm in the wrong book of the Bible. Acts chapter 2. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, 
and it sat upon each of them. Why did they see these tongues of fire on tops of their heads? Because fire is symbolic of the Holy Spirit, of the Holy Ghost in scriptures. There are a number of things that the Holy, I mean, that fire represents in the Old Testament. The first would be the presence of God. Moses came to the burning bush, the bush that burned yet was not consumed, Acts chapter 3. So first of all, fire can represent the presence of God. Number two, uh, fire can represent the power of God. First Kings chapter 18, um, when the prophet um, built the altar, well, repaired the altar that was there, he um, poured water all over it, what came down from heaven. Fire came down from God, demonstrating the power of God. It ate up everything there. It drank up the water. Um, it was representing the power of God. And then Isaiah chapter 4, as well as chapter 6, the purifying of God. So the presence of God, the power of God, the purifying of God. In Isaiah 4 and verse 4, we see it. Isaiah 6 and verses 7 and 8, such a beautiful illustration as Isaiah said that an angel flew down, he took tongs and he took a coal from off the altar and he put it on his mouth and he cleansed him. There was the fire for cleansing. So all of those are ways that we see the connection of the representation of fire in the Holy Spirit and the, uh, sorry, in the Old Testament and his work in our lives because we have the presence of God in our lives because we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. We can see the power of God in our lives because we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us and working through us. And when we are powerful is the only time we are truly spiritually powerful is when the Holy Spirit is working. Um, somebody can get up and teach a lesson in church, in Sunday school, um, vacation Bible school. A person can get up and teach a lesson and we all walk out and we go, okay, I have facts. That was nice. I got some facts. But sometimes somebody can get up and they don't even have a lot of skill at teaching. But when you walk out, you're like, wow, I got so much. And spiritually, you were built up. What was the difference? One, man can construct a lesson and teach us facts. And there have been some people that have taught about the, um, the gifts of the, of the Holy Spirit, so about spiritual gifts, and taught that that's what a teacher does, is a teacher loves facts and presents facts all the time. You're not going to find that in the Bible. That has been made up um, by a group of people and then taught as biblical. When the Holy Spirit gives you the gift of teaching, you may not be the most eloquent speaker, but when you speak, others will be built up, others will be edified, others will be encouraged. That's what you find in the Bible with the gift of teaching. How does that happen? It's the power of God through the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart in your life, the times I find myself the weakest is the times that God does the most through me. I will get down from the pulpit sometimes and get in the car and go, I don't even know what happened. I'm not even sure what I said up there. But then all of a sudden you start getting texts. Wow, God spoke to me about this. God spoke to me about this. Oh, wow, this encouraged me so much about this. And I go home going, well, I don't know what I said, but apparently the Holy Spirit was talking. Why? Because that was his power. And when I'm weak, he's strong. What is, how do we experience the reality of Christ in us? 
It's the Holy Spirit. He is the one that works that reality out in our lives. And then, of course, there's the purifying. He purifies us. Um, Look at Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. I indeed baptize you, this is John the Baptist talking, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And so he says, this is going to come to pass that Jesus will baptize you with fire. Another symbol of the Holy Spirit we see in Scripture is oil. Of course, 1 Samuel chapter 16, let's flip over there real quick. We have the anointing of 1 Samuel 16 and verse number 13. Let's read this here. And David, um, that is not, oh, I'm in 2 Samuel. I'm like, uh, David shouldn't be doing that yet. He's not been anointed. Um, 1 Samuel 16. Here we go. Verse number 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. And so what, when did the Holy Spirit come? When he was anointed with oil. And you see throughout Scripture there being anointing. The, the priest, it was the same way. They were to be anointed with oil. Um, Aaron and his sons were anointed with oil. Um, look at Isaiah chapter 61. Isaiah 61. I love the verse. He hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. Um, Look at that sometime throughout the scripture, the anointing. Times people were anointed and realized the Holy Spirit is involved here. Isaiah 61 and verse 1, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, this is prophesying of Jesus, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. Why did the Holy Spirit come down to Jesus at his baptism? Did Jesus need the Holy Spirit to come down to him? And some people teach that. That's at the point in which the Holy Spirit came to abide in Jesus. Um, Yet they created the whole earth together, so that's kind of hard to believe. And he was conceived of the Holy Ghost. And anyway, so that's hard for me to swallow that one, to follow all the way through with that. Um, But perhaps since the anointing, Jesus was not anointed with oil to be the anointed one, the Messiah. Could it not be that the Holy Spirit came down that day in bodily form like a dove to be visible, showing the anointing of the Holy Ghost for his ministry? Did he need the anointing of the Holy Ghost? Um, He was already one with the Spirit, but we needed to see it. It was a visible illustration that this man, Messiah, Christ, is the anointed one. And then you hear the voice from heaven, this is my beloved son. This is not Samuel the prophet pouring oil saying, this is the new king. 
the Holy Spirit comes down. God the Father speaks from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. This is his very visible anointing here. Acts chapter 10. Of course, Jesus read that verse in the synagogue at um, Nazareth, I believe it was, wasn't it? Um, Acts chapter 10 and verse 38, we see reference to this again, Acts 10 and verse 38. It says, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. So we see the anointing of oil as a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Number six, we see the seal. The seal, this would be like a signet ring that would be used to stamp on something into wax. But if you look at Ephesians chapter one, Ephesians chapter one, the church at Ephesus is told about this. Our morning message is also going to come from Ephesians Uh, The church at Ephesus um, receives this letter, a church that's going to understand this concept very easily. They lived in a port city, and this port city, one one, um, product that went through this city was timber. And they say that when the wood would come to the port at Ephesus, it would be stamped with the mark of its owner. So they would burn a um, a stamp, a seal into it, giving it a mark of ownership. Well, what is our mark of ownership like those timbers at Ephesus? Um, Ephesians 1.13, in whom ye also trusted, in Christ that is, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believe, ye were sealed... <coughs> You receive that stamp, you receive that mark of ownership with that Holy Spirit of promise. So the Holy Spirit, one of the symbols for him in Scripture is a seal, is a mark. And when a person gets saved, that seal, that mark, that symbol is put upon that person that we have the indwelling Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost coming to indwell us. Um, Number seven, the earnest or the down payment. Again, here writing to Ephesus, verse 14, which is the earnest, the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. So this is, what is our down payment on heaven? I read one author this week said, we all have within us a little piece of heaven. We have the Holy Ghost. And he was drawing from the illustration that sometimes in biblical days, if you bought a piece of land, you would give, um, you would receive um, some soil in a bag. Soil that you have purchased. This is your... The, the down payment here. But we have been given this down payment, the Holy Ghost, um, 2 Corinthians 1, 22 as well. 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 22, we read, who hath also sealed us and given the earnest of the Spirit. 
in our hearts. So this earnest money, the down payment money, is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Number eight, the finger of God. This one is very interesting to me. If you look in Matthew chapter 12, Matthew chapter 12, <coughs> Matthew chapter 12 and verse number 28. Jesus is speaking. He said, but if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. Now, look what he says. If I cast out devils by who? The Spirit of God. But if you read the account in Luke chapter 11, look what term he uses here. Luke 11 and verse number 20. But if I, with the finger of God, cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God has come upon you. You say, well, which one was right? Was Luke, was Luke accurate or was Matthew? Which one was right? Um, wrong, wrong question. They're both right. Because the, the finger of God, it could very well be that Jesus said the finger of God. Well, when Matthew wrote it down, he was being very literal here, and he said the Spirit of God, because the finger of God is the Spirit of God. It's the same. So if, if Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit, when he says the finger of God here, I go back to the Old Testament and I ask, how many times did the finger of God show up? Well, where did it show up? When did it show up? When the, whole, when the law was given, how was it written on stone? Scripture with the finger of God. Holy Spirit showed up on top of that mountain that day and wrote out the law of God. Now we have the law of God, the New Testament says, written in our hearts. Well, how'd that get there? The Holy Spirit of the living God wrote that law in our hearts. Of course, then there's the handwriting on the wall in um, the kingdom of um, Babylon. There's the handwriting on the wall. Grandson of um, Nebuchadnezzar gets to see this handwriting on the wall, how is it that he's, what, who is the hand he sees? It's the Holy Spirit has showed up writing on the wall. So look for the finger of God in scripture and you realize, oh wow, the Holy Spirit's been working all this time. The Holy Spirit works in our hearts even when we're lost to write the law of God in our hearts. Um, the Holy Spirit of God has been working for a long time as the finger of God. Of course, we could look at the word paraclete, which we get three different ideas from that. Um, he's our comforter. He's our advocate. He's our helper. Um, and you could go on with other symbols in Scripture for the Holy Spirit, but we're going to have to stop there. Now let's look at some attributes of God some attributes of the Spirit. Of course, as we start this, if what is said of Jesus could be said of the Holy Spirit. What is said of the Father could be said of Jesus. What is said of Jesus could be said of the Holy Spirit and, and of the Father, because um, they are one. And so what is true of one is going to be true of another. Um, I've heard that taught 
multiple times, and it's been interesting. The more I investigate it, the more I find it to be true. Okay, well, the Bible says Jesus is, name uh, an attribute. Well, anywhere in the Bible that it says that of the Father, anywhere that it says that of the Holy Spirit. It's amazing. You follow through, you start finding it. Oh, wow, the, the, the Father is that as well. The Holy Spirit is that as well. Let's look, first of all, at the most logical place to start, Genesis chapter 1. And verse number one, I have trouble understanding how somebody can doubt the reality of the Holy Spirit and the legitimacy of him when I even just read Genesis chapter one, chapter one, and verse, sorry, chapter one, chapter one. Did I say that twice? <laughs> I heard an echo. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Isn't that interesting? The Holy Spirit even gets introduced to us before Jesus does. He must be pretty important, so we'd be very foolish to ignore him. Um, Job 26, 13 names him as um, creator. Uh, Psalm 104, verse 30. Psalm 147, verses 14 through 18. We see him over and over, as listed as being involved in creation. A second attribute we see is equality. He is equal in the Godhead. He's equal in character. He's equal in deity. He's equal in person. But where he is different is in function. The Father did not die for us on the cross. The Spirit did not die for us on the cross. That was Jesus' job. Jesus does not bodily come down, unzip our hearts, and climb inside. And we all have maybe, you know, like, honey, I shrunk the kids. All of a sudden, Jesus gets zapped and then multiplied into multiple millions of pe persons and climbs into everybody's heart. He doesn't physically get in our hearts. That is the function of the Holy Spirit. He abides in our hearts. Um, that is where their functions differ. Yes, Jesus can be everywhere at the same time. I mean, there's a few times this is hinted to in the Gospels, and it starts out in John chapter 1, when one of the disciples comes to him and he says, when you were, before I called it, when you were under the fig tree, I saw thee. That right there told him, you are Messiah. Whatever happened under that fig tree, the fact that Jesus saw him there told him, this is Messiah. This is him. Why? He was showing the fact that he was everywhere at the same time. Well, that's true of the Father. That's true of the Spirit. And we'll look at that attribute here in a minute. But my point is right now, their equality. John chapter, uh, sorry, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. Genesis 1, 26. And God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Why is he saying our and not my? Because in the Hebrew, these are plural words, not even dual, meaning two people. These are plural, meaning three or more. And of course, it's Father, Son, Holy Spirit talking to one another. Let us make man in our image after our likeness 
and um, let him have dominion. And so then we come down to verse 27. So God created man in his own image. When God is talking about himself, he speaks in the plural. But when man is speaking of God, he speaks in the singular. Why? The Lord our God is one God. He is one God, yet there are three parts. And um, it is no different than saying that we are made of, there are multiple parts to each one of us. We have a body, we have a soul, we have a spirit. God has made us in his image. Um, yet I'm, there are not three people with, I am not three people. My body, my soul, my spirit, they're one. It makes one person. That was interesting trying to explain that to our kids when my grandmother died. That's just her body. The real person is in heaven with Jesus. It's just the body we're looking at. Matthew asked, um, what, how did she die? And Laura was trying to explain it to him, and he said, oh, her batteries ran out. Laura said, yes, her batteries ran out. She died of old age. Her batteries ran out. Um, you know, his toys, when their batteries ran, run dead, they no longer work. There's no function there. And that's how he looked at it. Her physical battery ran out. And the real her inside is with Jesus today. Um, but that doesn't make them two separate people. Um, she's one. And so there is equality within the Godhead. Matthew chapter 28. Let's look over there. Matthew 28. you see their unity in the gospel of John when Jesus says the Holy Spirit's going to come and teach you what I've given him and because I'm only giving him what the Father gave me. What's he talking about there? He's talking about their equality. We, we all have the same message. We all say the same thing. Uh, Matthew 28 and verse number 19, and Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. We see their equality even in how we are taught to baptize. Um, let's talk about his omnipresence, <clears throat> the fact that he is always present. Psalm 139, verse 7. Psalm 139, <clears throat> beginning at verse number 7. Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. So what is the question? Where is it that I can go and be separate, away from the presence of God's Spirit? He says, nowhere. There is nowhere. Why? Because he is everywhere. He is omnipresent, as is the Father, as is the Son. He is omniscient. Omniscient, meaning all-knowing. Um, 1 Corinthians 
1 Corinthians chapter 2. First Corinthians 2, verse 9. But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things that God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth how many things? All things. Yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man, but the spirit of God. Um, he is truth. John 16. John chapter 16 and verse number 13. How be it when he, the spirit of what? Truth is come. He will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. How is it that you and I can understand Bible prophecy? Because the Holy Spirit knows all things. He even knows what's going to happen in the future. Um, why? Because he is one with the Father. And so he has all the same information the Father does. Why? Because they are united. They're one. And he is the spirit of truth. It is part of his nature. It's who he is. So we know the word of God is truth. The son of God is truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Um, where are we going to find truth? We're going to find it in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and in the, his word. Romans 1 and verse 4. Four, we see he's holy. Of course, uh, we don't even have to put a reference here. What is his primary title in the scripture? The Holy Spirit. Um, it has been suggested, and I agree wholeheartedly, that the reason why when um, Isaiah sees into heaven and the cherubims cry, holy, 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 is because we serve a triune God. Holy is the Father, holy is the Son, holy is the Spirit. Um, Holy, holy, holy. It's not said once, but it's and it's not said twice. It's said three times. Um, why? Because holy is the Father, holy is the Son, holy is the Spirit. Romans chapter 1 and verse number 4. Um, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of what? Holiness by the resurrection from the dead. The Spirit of holiness. He is holy. And that's the reason why the Holy Spirit, when we allow him to do his work in our hearts, he will make us holy. Some things start bothering us that didn't bother us before we got saved. There are some things that a Christian should be bothered by that others wouldn't be. Why? Because we have the Holy Spirit, the living God, abiding in us. And we are his temples. He lives inside us, and so he is going to deal with us according to the fact that he is holy. So don't try to sell me the bill of goods that I can live however I want and be as heathen as I want because I'm saved, I'm redeemed. Oh, and I can go to church and laugh and have all kinds of weird experiences. The Holy Ghost is doing all these crazy things in me. But then I ignore the fact that his name is holy? 
and I don't allow that to have some kind of effect in my life, I cannot understand separating those two unless we're trying to be like the Corinthian church and we're just trying to be as carnal as we can and just live our best life now um, and ignore the fact that we have a holy God living within us. And then we'll look at one more here, Hebrews 9.14. He is eternal. And this one right here hits me right between the eyes if I have any question at all as to whether or not the Holy Spirit is God. Always has, always will be God. Hebrews 9 and verse number 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And what is he called here? The eternal spirit. He had no beginning. He had no end. The only place that I can really find where there is beginning to the word eternal in scripture is when you come to the word eternal life. Because there is a point in time to which I receive eternal life. But I really think that the only limit I can put on that as to having a beginning is that's at the point at which I received it. Because the life's already been there. It is eternal. Now that can blow your mind. Um, you have a nervous breakdown trying to follow that one all the way through. Um, our minds can overload at some of these concepts. Wow, how, would, how could God impart into me something that's eternal? I live in a temporary body. No matter how much I exercise, no matter how many vitamins I take, no matter how much juice plus I take or how many essential oils I diffuse into the air, I will one day die if the rapture doesn't come first. Um, every one of us are going to see death one day. Our physical bodies will die. So we're living and trapped in these physical bodies. It's hard for me to understand eternal. But I know that the eternal spirit of the living God indwells inside of me. And that is just um, fascinating to me. I have eternal life because the holy eternal God lives inside of me. Um, what is your superpower? I've been seeing that again lately. That was really popular for a while. And it's just dumb stuff people say is their superpower. But what is your superpower? Oh, that I'm not actually going to die. When I die, my spirit just goes away. It goes with the eternal spirit to dwell in heaven forever because I received a life that had no beginning. And that's the part that blows my mind because I had a beginning. I was born one time. But this eternal life I received, I can mark when I received it. But it is eternal, and it will never end. I am so grateful that as believers, we have the Holy Spirit of the living God dwelling inside of us. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for the time we've had to look at this doctrine of the Holy Spirit. I pray that you would just, Lord, help us to understand more um, and be more sensitive to the Holy Spirit's working in our hearts and in our lives, that we would be um, more attentive when we read our Bibles to the things that your Holy Spirit is trying to show us. And Lord, I just thank you for um, the conviction of our sin that we have received because of the Holy Spirit. And
um, the understanding the reality of Jesus and salvation. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to continue to understand more he who dwells within us so that we can know Jesus better and Lord, so that we can please you more. And Lord, I just pray that you would um, just be with us in the remainder of the service services today and help everybody else as they're traveling on the roads coming. In Christ's name we pray, amen.